1: The rebel radio show finn is your on-demand virtual assistant as you need it the way you like it uh you don't have to pay for a full-time assistant they can do all of the tasks that you need to get done but don't need to do yourself leaves you more time to be creative to live your life build your business whatever you want to do it's up to you because finn will take care of the rest i use them for scheduling meetings I have them. Uh, actually, they help me with this show. We do. I have them help me look up research on my guests as I'm preparing my brilliant questions for the show. Um, you can sync your calendar with them. You can have them make calls for you, book appointments, uh, pay bills. Really, basically anything you need done, Finn will do it for you. Travel arrangements, whatever you need. Just for listening to this show, I'm going to hook you up. Go to finn.com slash rebel. You get a free trial of Finn. That's finn.com slash rebel to try out Finn for free. I'd love to hear what you think about it. Leave us a comment or tell us, give us some ideas for how how we can use a virtual assistant in our lives. Uh, Finn.com slash rebel.
0: I'm Dennis Morris. I'm at uh, Rebel Radio with um, Eddie Donaldson from Duelo One and Josh Levine. Here we are having fun fuck you josh (laughs) what's up this is rebel
2: radio what up what up this is dj newmark this is peanut butter wolf it's your boy it's okay keep checking out rebel radio rebel radio this is rebel radio we're in the place right here Ah. rebel radio is going down
1: would you say Rebel radio
2: oh wait let's do it again
0: rebel radio
1: what's up rebels welcome back to rebel radio today is another episode of our artwork rebels series in partnership with Gorilla One you'll hear my man Eddie Donaldson co-hosting with me we got a great show today the acclaimed photographer Dennis Morris he's a photographer art director uh, musician designer this man's done it all I want this guy's life he started out 14 years old taking pictures of Bob Marley became his photographer became the photographer for the Sex Pistols became uh, just uh, fascinating stories He's going to get into with us uh, on Rebel Radio today, right after our EDM.com track of the week.
2: Not left to do this shit but level up on niggas, man Yo, I got it this said about the big coke classic. classic I'm dropping bodies Leaving closed caskets AI with the practice Got the flows mastered master. I am not a slave I got no master nah. I don't owe answers To no one I do whatever I, whatever I feel It's a lot of niggas That rap that ain't matching the skill. Can't believe niggas still So obsessed with a deal How can I chill When they still letting in the fakes Woo! Allow me to set the record straight I'm about to give them real Until it resonates, it resonates. Then flood the fucking city Till the levees break, the break. I'm about to get it booming Now in every state but the flow came out 80, 80, 80, 80. I told mama, never worry, I'ma make a way I ain't never took a break, been working day, to day. Yo, that
1: was Jay Mays with Everything Lit, the edm.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com, check out new music, and uh right now let's get into it with Dennis Morris. I
2: looks and that's when
1: well, thanks for doing this. We'll let Eddie jump in when he gets there. And uh, I've always liked to hear uh, Eddie's I think he's he's been on with me like six times. All right, he, this yeah. will be so. There's always a good story about how everybody knows Eddie, so yeah. we'll, we'll wait for him to get into that. Yeah. but uh, I'm excited to to talk to you and kind of hear your story. I've been um, you know I've been looking at your, your photography online, right? Yeah. and it's an amazing body of work. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know, Bob Marley I think is one of the most important mm. artists of all time
0: yeah he certainly is i mean he's he's the man he's um, a very very special person i mean you know for me um, the unique thing about bob was that he was more than a musician sure you know he was a messenger yeah he really had a purpose but the message was was to be delivered through his music yeah Uh,
1: absolutely so i want to talk about that but (laughs) let's talk about you first and and how you got started um so even before the photography Mm. What was, do you remember the first
0: record you ever bought? First record I ever bought, I think, would have been um, Eddie Grant and Equals. Mm. Black Skin, Blue-Eyed Boys. Yeah. Black Skin, Blue-Eyed Boys They ain't gonna fight no wars oh, Go to school
1: But the teachers meet.
0: I remember seeing it on um, there's a program in England called Top of the Pops. Mm -hmm. And I remember being at home and sitting on the TV religiously on a Thursday, every kid watched Top of the Pops. Sure. And I'm sitting there and uh, they announced, and that number one. Is Eddie Grant and the Eagles, black skin, blue eyed boys, and he walked on stage, and there was this black guy with a blonde afro, and I thought, <laughs> "Wow, who the f- is this?" You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And then he went into, it and I thought, "Wow, uh, I want to be a part of this. I want to be," you know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: So I rushed out and got the record. You know, I mean, that man was like, uh, was way out of his time. Sure. Really, what he really was. I mean, Absolutely. You know, you know, broke all kinds of. Um, Records in in that, in that way, yeah. Very influential.
1: He's interesting because you know in the states, really, we only know of him from Electric Avenue. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, he had a he had a quite a he, thing going. Yeah, but he, he had
0: a, I mean, uh, went through quite a trip, really, because like years later, um, I'm on my way as a photographer. So I used to be pounding the the, the roads in uh, around Soho in London with my portfolio, trying to get work. Yeah. And I used to see him. I, said, well, I was my hero, Eddie Grant, from when I was a kid. You he used to see me, like, and I know he was thinking, like, that black kid it looks like he's up to something, you know what I mean? And uh, and eventually we we spoke, and um, and he told me basically he he had like uh, four or five number one records. Yeah. And got totally ripped off. Yeah. And um, and he spent those years when I used to see him fighting to get back his um you know the the rights to to, to the music and also the um the publishing sure. eventually won and what he did was when he you know got it all back um he then set up um he bought a house in the east end of london um a huge house in the basement he had a recording studio then he bought a pressing plant he had his own publishing company yeah. and then he came out with um dun, 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 dun and he owned it all, you know, because he learned, he learned his lesson, so he bought bought the pressing plant, pressed his own record, had a van distributing the record, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and if you could do that and and have one hit, you're set. Yeah,
0: (laughs) man, he coined, I remember he told me once that basically he wouldn't. Hmm. it was so big, he was doing something, uh, doing a tour in Romania, and they couldn't pay him. So I think remained, they were like, dad gherkins." Mm-hmm. So, he, so he, they, he got paid in gherkins, and then set up a thing to sell the gherkins. in Europe, yeah. yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, very, very, very smart guy. Yeah, very, very, very clever man. Amazing. Very, very clever man. Now he's in um, he's got, where is it? Um, I think it's uh, not Barbados. One uh, in the Caribbean island. Yeah, got a studio there where the likes of Sting and everybody goes. in, man. Uh, you know, to, that's to cool.
1: Gone, yeah. So tell me how you got started taking pictures.
0: Yeah, so um, I was a choir boy in a church in the East End of London, and um, the church had a benefactor of a man by the name of Donald Patterson, and he was an inventor and manufacturer of photographic equipment. He invented the self-loading spiral, mm. which was a breakthrough in, in, in um, photography, yeah. and um, made a fortune out of it. And he wanted to get put something back into the society, so he got involved with his church in East End. And uh, one of the things he did, he created a photographic club for the choir boys. And when I was nine, I walked into the dark room, one of the older boys was in there, and they had this thing which says, I, know, I didn't know what it was at the time, but an enlarger. And I was standing behind him and I saw him pick up a piece of paper, put it on the, the enlarger, switched on the light, image came down on the paper, counted for a few seconds, took the paper, put it into this dish, rocked it. I looked over and this image came and I thought, wow, magic, magic, I want this yeah. is me, this is me, you know, and then put it into the fixer and then switched on the light and I just thought, Phew. yeah. I knew instantly from then mm. that was my life. Yeah. And that man, Mr. Patterson, saw my enthusiasm and um, I suppose potential and took me onto his wings. And uh, gave me cameras to uh, to use. I was using like Leicas and Rolleiflex from the age of like 11. Mm-hmm. And uh, they used to take me to like uh, museums and galleries and stuff. And I was just obsessed with photography, you know, like when all my friends were out playing football whatever, I, I just I'd always had a camera, always taking pictures, you know. If it moved, click. That was it for me, you know. Yeah. And that's how I started, you know, and uh, I know a great deal to that man, really. Had it not sure. being him, I, w- I wouldn't be here. I
1: mean, it's amazing when you know, thank you. It's amazing when you know from the beginning that that's, that's what's
0: calling you. But when you see it and you get involved with it, you know, you have like a football in front of you, you kick it and it, you know, it goes where you want it to go. You think, well, yeah, you know, you, know, you go like that and it sure. goes where you want to go. You think, wow, this is it, you know, that's how it starts.
1: So, wait, how'd, how'd you guys be there? Eddie, welcome back. Thank you. We're excited to have you. I think this might be our sixth show together. Possibly. Something like that.
2: Yeah. Many more always, to come.
1: You always bring the best people. Right, thank you. Um, so, yeah, how, how do you guys know
0: each other? Eddie and I met through a Known Gallery.
2: We met through Casey. Oh, okay. Casey, Eclipse, yeah. Eclipse, 7 Yeah. yeah. Nice.
0: And, um, and like everything in my life, you know, we just clicked. Mm-hmm. And um, been putting things together since, you know.
2: I mean, obviously I'm a huge fan of his work. Yeah. The talent is like, you know, outrageous. Yeah. And I like to surround myself with successful talented people. So i kinda was like, Hey, can I be your friend? He was <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, why not?
1: You're the best at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. And now we got a couple of things cooking. The Barker Hanger show with Jim Evans. Yeah. Yeah. I introduced them and they are working on the show, which you're gonna moderate a panel. Yeah. I'm I'm moderate saying. the discussion. Yeah. So yeah, it's like one step forward, four steps forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's awesome, so uh so digging into your story, what I read is is you met Bob Marley, you were fourteen?
0: Yeah, um again, like you know, I was this kid who basically was this black kid who never really fit into being a black kid and never fit into being a in a white circle, never fit in anywhere, basically, you know, I was just out there on my own my. and so I read I was into music, and I read that Bob was coming over to do his like his first major tour of England. And he'd signed a deal with Island Records, and basically, they were, wanted to break him into the rocks market because Bob was really known within the sort of West Indian circle. Yeah. Wasn't really known outside of that so much. Sure. And so I decided that I wanted to meet him. So I didn't go to school that day. I went down to this club called the Speakeasy Club and uh, waited and waited. Eventually, he and the rest of the whalers were going, turning up to do their sound check, and I walked up and said, Can I take your picture? Yeah, man, come in. So I walked in with him and, um, you know, they're setting up, doing their sound check and I'm kind of clicking away like I'm knowing what I'm doing and stuff. And I think he kind of just kind of thought, this kid, he's got something going for him, you know. And um, so during breaks, he would ask me what it was like to be a young black kid in England. And I was asking him what Jamaica was like, because I left very young, and very little memory of it. And he was telling me all these stories and stuff, you know, and... uh, and then he told me about the tour and said to me if I want to come along. And I said, yeah. So the next morning I woke up, packed my bag like I'm doing sports. At 14? Yeah, went to the hotel. In those days, there was no tour bus. It was like a, a van with some seats, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh got in a van and there's this very famous picture, iconic shot of him, where I'm sitting like one row behind him. And he turned around and said, you ready, Dennis? I said, yeah, man. <laughs> he took that shot. And the adventure began. And what was weird about it, though, it was a winter, and they never really came prepared for the winter, and they hated it. They, one, there was no idle food, which is like equivalent of vegan,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so they that never existed. They couldn't stand the cold, and then basically, when they the gigs at Ireland had put them in, like, places like Capacity 2000, but no one had really heard of them, you know, in those areas, like outside of London. It's so like 200 people turn up. So they'd be like, what are we doing in Peter and Bunny like, we well, to play this gig for mine, watching people in the road and Bob said, no, no, we have to deliver the message, we have to deliver the message. And so he'd always walk out like it was sold out. And then one morning about fourth, about the fourth day into the show, the tour, they woke up and it was coming down with snow heavy. And they wanted to play football. And they opened it and I said, No, why not? that. So I say, Snow? We mean Snow? And Peter and Bunny said, Yeah, man, you see, I sign from ja, we have to leave Babylon right now. <laughs> 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 and, so, and they were like, I said, No, it's it snow, snow at top, snow, man? Babylon this. And they went back. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was that, it. That was it, you know? And Peter and Bunny, they refused to talk. And about two, two, three years later, Bob came back without Peter and Bunny. And they noticed at that point it was the I 2. Rita and uh, Marcia mm-hmm. and uh, play the infamous Lyceum gig.
2: Come on and steer it up.
0: Little darling, steer it up.
2: It's been a long, long time since I've got you on my mind.
0: I'd left school trying to get work as a photographer. So I got in touch with Ireland. I said to him, um, you know, like, yeah, 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 you know, Bob remembers you. So I got my photo pass. So I'm down here in the, what they call the, the, the photo pit with all the top rock photographers, you know. But I had one thing over them. I knew how he performed. So I had kind of positioned myself, mm-hmm. you know, because every performer, singer, has a way of yeah. one side of the mic. So I got myself on the right side of the mic. And he played the gig of gig because he knew that was his time. He yeah. knew and he came back with Avengers. And man, the Lyceum, I don't know, I think maybe 5,000 people, but there were people climbing on the roof trying to get in. There was one time when it was so packed and so hot in there, the sweat went up, hit the roof, came down like it was rain. And there was a the jaw! <laughs> I mean, there was magic going on in there. And he stepped out there and boom. And boom
2: wow. Took it apart. That'd be amazing to see that. Yeah, even now, but especially when you're that young. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then what happened was now, every music paper got in touch with me and said, like, "Want to, you You know?" So I got a front page uh, cover of um, uh, Melody Maker, Mm -hmm. Time Out magazine, and that was how I got into rock. My My ambition was never to be a rock photographer. I wanted to be a war photographer. Is that right? Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go to Vietnam. Yeah. You know, and I, for me, that was real photography. Sure. But as I said, my influence is reportage, and I took that into rock. That- so all my photographs, from Bob, Sexpist, or whatever, they're studies, you know? Even on stage, they're studies. I'm waiting for that defining moment, you know? And that's what reportage is about, is that. Defining moment, and that's what I was able to do.
1: How do you know that when you see it?
0: It's a thing they call a third eye, Mm. and you know, you know, you you wait, you wait, and you see the thing about again, like I say, um, I see myself, I'm like a sniper if I'm in the military, you know what I'm saying? Because you just get that one shot mm. if you're a sniper because if you miss from that one shot they know where you are and then they take you out So like for me in photography I'm just I'm, I'm just waiting I'm panning I'm waiting I'm waiting I'm waiting waiting and then you might and that's it yeah always that's it yeah. always that one shot. What did you learn from Bob Marley <laughs> Ooh <laughs> what I learned from I put it this way I learned from Bob when I was working with the sex pistols. I learned how to kick down the door and take what you want. Mm-hmm. What I learned from Bob, spirituality and grounding. So when all the chaos is going on around me, when the pistols and everything else, I always kept myself together. Yeah. You know, that was what I, I really learned. Mm-hmm. That's me. probably not an and easy how, task. Yeah. And, and also doors. how to hold yourself as a black person within a, you know, and a lot of, you know, not just black people learn that white people, Everybody learned that from Bob. If you learned, if you are into his music, you learned how to hold yourself yeah. and how to be present when you walk into a room and you see people and you're the only one or whatever. You hold yourself high, you walk strong. In order. You know?
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, order. order. Yeah, lion order. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, you talked about clicking with Eddie, sort of clicking with Bob. Mm. What do you think that is that allows you to do that with people?
0: Um, it's one of those things that you learn that through, again, from being around someone like Bob and you kind of, you always know when you're next to another strong lion, Mm. like-minded. You just instantly know. So you roam together, you move together. The thing also that you learn is, is you don't have to hang together 24-7 because you know he's there. And when the right time comes for something, you pick the phone up or they maybe hey, Eddie, what are you doing? I got this idea. Already, so it's eight ten sweet. I got
2: it. You know what I mean? And then they go, "You don't need to be constantly." You know what I mean? That kind of vibe. The connection continues. Yeah, because yeah. Because it's on a spiritual, esoteric level versus a physical level. Yeah. A lot of people think you got to be up in each other's face all the time in order for that friendship or that relationship to be strong. Sure. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think especially in in uh, business, and we're in the business of art. Mm. There's an assumption that it's that it's the other way right that everything is about a, an objective we're trying mm. to make a deal we're trying to finish a project right that everything is is sort
2: of calculated yeah yeah, yeah. well it's basically based like in control for me it's like as a producer it's about control you think you got to have your hands on everything at all times in order for them to be successful yeah but if you just kind of let go it just works yeah you let yeah. people do what they're doing yeah, yeah. And that's a lesson I'm still learning. Yeah, so how, how, let's
1: talk about you for a second. Uh, so how have you learned to do that? I mean, I, I get it. We're all still learning that.
2: Well, currently today, you know, I'm doing a lot with mugs yeah. from Cypress Hill, And, you know, even though his demeanor is very big and strong, his approach is a little softer and a little bit more trusting so it's, it's kind of weird when you, you get in a room with someone like that who's like the big lion but he's not trying to eat everything on the table all the time he's kind of just letting things happen mm-hmm. so I'm learning that touch now because you know me like I'll call you nine times in a row in the morning trying to get you on the phone because it's urgent yeah right? even though it's not so that's kind of today's today's teacher for me at this at this point yeah but also it's like when you stress and you you know like you stress over the outcome and the outcome's not going to change but you stressed. So I've seen enough of that. I guess it's experience. Yeah. And then also working with you too. I mean, (laughs) I always say it like Josh Josh is, me and uh, Dennis says, "No, this, me and Josh used to work here in the marketing company and Josh was kind of the the head of the company. Right. And I'd always run down the office with these great ideas. I got this great idea. In my room, in my office, it was the greatest thing ever. But as I got closer, I start to get more, a little bit more realistic about what it really meant because I had to pitch it. And then I'd walk out of the room knowing that it wasn't the greatest idea in the world. It was a good idea, but it wasn't the greatest idea. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you, your perspective is not the only perspective.
1: It's funny you say that, and that's one of the things I love about you, that you, uh, as much as you have a big personality and and you'll call somebody nine times, you know, you can be as aggressive as anybody I've ever met, but you also seem to learn from everybody that you work with. Yeah. And, and that's big. And... uh and I think we, you know, we all, we all need to pay attention to that.
2: Mm, very much. I so. agree. I mean, I think for me, growing up mixed. I mean, you touched on on how you, how it was difficult for you to kind of fit in or whatever. I had the same thing. I went to private schools. I was, you know, I was one of three black kids in an all private Episcopalian school, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I wasn't quite white enough, but I was cool, the cool black kid. And the black kids, I was too white. So, I think for me, I was always sponging, yeah. you know, to try to figure out what I needed to do in order to chameleon. Chameleonize myself to that environment or that situation, and it, I kind of transferred that to business, just mm-hmm. naturally, obviously. So, what is it
1: about mm-hmm. that? About you know, you're not fitting in. I think you could look at Bob Marley as an example of not fitting in. Well, I think certainly John yeah. Lydon.
0: Well, I think that the thing, the key to Bob really was, um, as Eddie was saying, really is that with Bob, he grew up in tre- uh, in Trenchtown. Mm-hmm. His father's white, mother black, and in Trenchtown is only black. Nothing light, you know. And so when he was growing up, he got flack from both sides, you yeah. know, wasn't never black enough, wasn't white enough. And so for me, I always say the key to Bob's success was that basically his songs were never for black people or for white people. It was for people. Mm-hmm. People who felt oppressed in you know, every shape or form. Yeah. And that's why people gravitated to him. Because they could hear it in his songs, in his voice. You know, that that was a very unique thing about him.
1: Yeah. In a way. So let's talk about the Sex Pistols.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think uh, in in some ways they couldn't be more different than a Bob Marley, and in some ways they're obviously. You
0: in, know, they're yeah. Both rebels. They were both. I mean, as I said, you know, I was this black kid growing up in that time, and so. The pistols basically represented the the the, the youth of of England, yeah. um, black or white. But a very few black kids were into it, and so when I got hooked up with them, a lot of my friends are like, "Oh man, you know what are you doing with these guys?" And if I had actually listened to them, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know what I did, and also with Bob Marley as well. If I listened to a lot of my friends, black friends as well, I probably wouldn't have been because, yeah. see, the thing is, what people don't realise within west indian society having locks was like the lowest of low yeah and so bob came out of trench town and he made it the highest of highs mm-hmm. in that sense so f- for my black friends like you know and people deal with them rasta you know what i mean that it was really so a lot of it now as i said like, you just have to take that road that lonely road on your own this well, is what you see this is where you go going. You know, what were you those know. kids into at that time black kids were into kind of not really, they never, I think at that point, never really had never really found themselves, mm. if you see what I'm saying to you. And white kids, that same way, had really, from that same generation, hadn't really found themselves, also. But when punk came, that was what gave them that an identity because the reason why, for instance, punk really gravitated to reggae music was that rock music at the time was not saying anything to them. And the only music that was saying anything was reggae music. So they went to reggae, you know, in that sense. Mm. And that's what made reggae got to the the level, you know, it got to. And Bob also was that messenger who had that message to deliver, which the kids, black or white, understood. And so that's really, you know. So
1: how did you meet the Pistolism? What, What was it like when you first?
0: Well, we, can all, like we all literally all grew up together, mm-hmm. you know. John grew up in Findra Park, which was like, maybe quarter of a mile away from where I was in Hackney. Um, Sid grew up in the same neighborhood. And there were these bunch of white kids that used to literally hang out with all the sort of blues dances, you know. Mm-hmm. And we used to see them, you know, they always felt a little bit uncomfortable. But the thing is, when he went to a blues dance, again, didn't matter if you're black or you know, if you're white and you were there, you were there, <laughs> you see what I mean, right. and you just had to hold yourself. So they, but they did, but they were like, you know, in that kind of way. So when it really, you know, the pistols started, you know, making head rows. and before even then, you know, I mean, um, Virgin, when I got involved, Virgin, um, John and uh, Malcolm had said, um, John had seen those shots I did of Bob and said, Oh, I wanted this guy to be you know, to work with us, take pictures with us. So yeah. we met, and then we realised that we literally used to go to the same clubs and whatever. Yeah. And that's how it really came together. as simple as that. I don't
2: want a holiday in the sun. I want to go to the New Bell Sun. I want to see something. Somebody- marley note about being black or white or whatever and how he made his music i want to quote something that i took off rohan's instagram a couple days ago cool selassie quote it says we must become members of a new race overcoming petty just uh prejudice owing our ultimate allegiance not to nations but to our fellow men within the human community his imperial majesty imperial highly selassie the first that's pretty dope pretty yeah. timely too for right now what we're going <coughs> through as well definitely yeah what does that say to you i mean it says whatever we're all one mm. you know we're humans we're not a race we're not mm. colors no. we're not from continents we're from a planet and, and that's the a universe yeah that
0: song that bob says a oh, rat race mm-hmm. oh what a rat race you got the dog race you got the horse race you got the human race and I say to people, and the people say to me sometimes, you know, they say to me, well, you know, who do you belong to? And I said, well, you know what? I belong to the human. I'm a human being. I don't belong to any race. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm a human being. And I said, for me.
2: The race thing, race, you know, creates that friction. Sure. Yeah, but that's on its way out. They're digging for that. That's, this is the last, ch- last dance. I hope so. Well, I mean, our children, you know, <laughs> Justin's not going to be racist. It's, it's not even going to be a thought. Like, no. it, I'm hoping that it's not even going to be an idea that pops up in his head or in his.
1: Oh, but that's because we we don't give our kids the opportunity for that, right? Because we don't present the world to them in that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. But not everybody is. But it's you know? Yeah, look around, yeah, the, but I around mean, the world. Yeah, but it's like. It's like minority.
2: But it's like me, for instance, my life. At 18, I'm gang-banging and fucking, you know, that's the only way I know is getting over and taking more and yeah. being an asshole, right? Then you start to evolve. Evolution is, is it, we're all evolving. So whether it's in the home, but society's evolving as well. Mm-hmm. And you can see how how weird people like Donald Trump look to the general population right now. Sure, there's a whole bunch of people that are still trying to hold on to that kind of thought process. Sure. But mm-hmm. it's real slippery and it's, it's, it's very transparent what the results are from that, individually and as a society. So when Justin's in office somewhere, if that's what he chooses to do, his whole philosophy is going to be what leads the generation after him. Right. <coughs> There's no chance for it anymore, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I saw something where it said everyone's going to be brown by some year sure. because yeah. of just everyone getting together and, and being multi-race. But
0: I think. But we, but we were all brown once and then when it all came right. in, some went to the cold thing, and then we came lighter and lighter yeah Mm -hmm.
2: so we're all gonna be just like me high yellow pretty soon (laughs) yeah i mean i'm I'm, I'm a i'm a i'm I'm the future i mean i think it's
1: interesting because you know that is a universal truth right that we're we're connected we are all Mm -hmm. one at the same time you know you talked about it earlier coming to la and you got to find your tribe or your clique Mm -hmm. right that that uh you know, in doing that, you end up shutting other people out,
2: mm.
1: right? And I think that's that's also a universal truth: is that we want, you know, we for for whatever reason, we end up identifying with people that look like us or that are from the same hometown as us. And we have these, you know, that's how sports works. Yeah. People that, you know, they have an allegiance to a city just because they live there.
0: But also, I always I I think that as well, travel is a a great, great education, Yeah. You know, when people, once you leave your thing and you go to, like, say, you know, you've been brought up in LA in, in the hood, as you call it, and then you go to, like, let's say you go to China, and you've been told Chinese people or whatever, and you go there, and you suddenly see all these people are treating you really cool, and you suddenly think, oh, this food's actually quite nice, you know, what yeah. I mean? and you think, like, well, they're all supposed to be living in rickshaws or whatever it may be, and you think, like you look up and think, like, wow, look at that building, you know, and you, and you, and you, you suddenly you realise that, Wow, it's all been a lie, you know. And you come back in, and you're like, you That's know, right. yeah. and then you meet the Chinese girl, and like, you know, and then it's like, whoa, oh, she's sweet, and like, you know what I mean? Yeah, tour, you know, oh, touring, touring yeah, helps with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, touring you know, definitely helps with that. It sure. really opens you up, you know. When you, as soon as you
2: step out your comfort, comfort zone, zone, you know. Right. Oh, boom! Yeah. Same time, boom. <laughs> comfort zone. Jinx, show me a soda. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that. That curiosity
0: mm. uh,
1: for for what else is out there, and, and I know for my son, just you know, we, we take them all around the world and try to show them that mm. our way is not the only way, like you said,
2: yeah, yeah no doubt.
1: Mm. And uh, and that we can we can borrow from everywhere.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's kind of strange as well because you know, a lot of black people what they don't realize is, is when you go to Africa, you may be black like an African man but you, the only thing I have in common is your skin. Right. Its culture is so much different, yeah. you know what I mean? And once you kind of get your head around that, you know, it's, you, you kind of realize that we are all the same, but what you have to understand is, it's the cultural thing which is different. Mm-hmm. And then you have to get your head around that cultural thing to realize that basically, this culture is how these people are, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And once you can accept that, then it makes you that much closer in, in that way. Um, a lot of people think, you know, being black and everybody's black means that it's the same. We're not the same, mm-hmm. really. You know, I mean, sk- skin-wise, yeah, but culturally, we're f- far apart. Yeah, of course. You know? And then you have to embrace that culture to learn how to mm-hmm. live with each other.
1: Do you, you mean, still find that that curiosity uh, carries with you the way it used to when you were young? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's never gone away. You know. And, um, I, I, as I grow more, then I get more
1: curious about it all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Check it out if you're into this one. I hope you are. Uh, let's go back into Rebel Radio archives, check out my interview with Patrick Holick, another great photographer, came from music, making music videos, and he's got a very different journey than Dennis's, but really interesting as well. I hope you'll check that one out after we finish up with Dennis Morris so you were talking earlier about getting um, you said you did quite well as a commercial photographer mm. uh, and then you kind of came back to the art mm. Is that?
0: well I never really left the art I mean basically okay. truly what I was doing with all the success I had as a commercial photographer I was using that money to really kind of do all these various things I really wanted to do um, on the quiet as such, you know. So I have a huge library of, of, um, of, um, of the images, um, which suddenly now everybody's just suddenly kind of um, discovering. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a body of work called Growing Up Black and the reason for that, uh, the title of it is basically that like my generation in England we were the generation that were called black because before that we were called colored people mm-hmm. So that's the title of that, you know, Growing Up Black. Sure. And that work is now in the um, in the, um, the Victorian Albert Museum and uh, Tate Britain and um, various other museums. And then I did an- another body of work called um, Southall, A Home From Home, and that's on the, again, on the Asian community, yeah. Sikhs in um, in England, because um, if you take the train from London and travel like 20 minutes, suddenly you're, like, you're literally like you're in Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> There's this area called Southall, yeah. which is the biggest uh, Sikh community outside of India, wow. it's unbelievable, you yeah. know, and that's why I discovered Indian food, mm. you know, because when I got there and I started, wow man, this food is sweet, you <laughs> know, I mean, and that's how, you know, sure. and they say, a lot, a lot of people say, sometimes you get into a culture through its food, yeah. you know, in that Absolutely. way, and I, yeah, and I, I learned a lot about the, uh, you know, the Indian Asian community in that way, and uh, so, yeah, um, what can I say? Yeah.
1: Um, what were you, as you as you got involved in the commercial work? Mm. What did you bring with you? Were you able to? How much were you able to bring that reportage and that that sort of your eye as a rock photographer into the commercial world?
0: Um, it was always a bit different. It was always a bit difficult because um, I remember once I had to do some. I had to do a shoot with a band called The Sweet um, and i turn up and I could hear them fucking oh it's a black guy is and, that right yeah it looks like they just they were in shock you yeah. know but <laughs> once I took the camera out and started you know they were like well is this the future what you know what I mean they just couldn't okay. believe it so I was always breaking down barriers in that way you know and I, I was well aware of it through Bob as well you know what I what mean, because Bob always said to me you know Dennis You have to leave a good trail because whoever comes after you, if you leave a bad trail, you know what I'm saying? So I was always aware that I had to do the best I could and better in that way. way. And it was difficult, but at the same time it brought out the best out of me. Mm -hmm. Because I think had it been easy, I probably wouldn't have got the shots I got, you know what I mean? So I had to dig deep within myself to get what I got in, in that way.
1: Sounds like, um, I mean, you make it sound easy.
0: No man, yeah. yeah. Make some, it sound easy, but it wasn't. yeah. Were,
1: were there yeah. times when
0: you thought about giving up? Oh, I used to smash my cameras. Is that right? Yeah, because yeah. I know. I used to do shoots sometimes. I got back, and uh, for me, you know, <clears throat> my my bedroom at uh, my, my parents was completely blacked out with, um, you know, dustbin lightings and no mm-hmm. black plastic. So, my bedroom was a dark room mm-hmm. and I built like a workbench. So, I was sleeping with with, with, um, with all the chemical fumes, chemical, you know chemicals. what I mean? Inhaling it all. <laughs> and when I took wow. some shots, I used to rush back, you know, and get in there and, you know, and then got it, I got it, I knew, you know. And if yeah. it wasn't there, it was like, oh, it'd be a mental breakdown. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh man, it, wow, yeah, wow. destruction. Yeah. Yeah, but it was fun, <laughs> but really, it was really hard. Um, because again, I remember seeing that um, film on uh, Basquiat, mm-hmm. and there was that scene where he turned to Warhol and he said, I don't understand why they don't understand my art, and Warhol turned to me and said, you have to realize in the history of art, there's never been a black painter that's been revered. And it was the same for me, you know. When I ever turned up, it was like, "Ooh, really?" But you know what? It actually really worked for me. Yeah. Because the beauty of it was this: they never took me seriously, mm. and because of that, I always ed- I ended up with I own all the rights to my work because they never wanted me to sign it because they never took me seriously. Yeah, wow. that's great. And I was sweet with that, you know, because one of the key things Mr. Patterson told me he said, "Dennis." copyright and ownership of your work is very very important so whenever they i was like okay i'm good and they said give me pay me less i'm sweet yeah so you know what i own everything wow and uh, it, so it really worked it really worked for me you know and, uh, and i was like i was yeah i'm happy with that sure. cool and just moved on that's great and now they see me I, can, I know there's certain people out there thinking, never thought that fucker would do it. Jesus Christ. You <laughs> know, it all, you know? And I yeah, look I'm at today. him thinking, yeah.
1: Well, that's the Eddie Grant lesson, isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. That's cool. I mean, I always, uh, you know, sometimes you talk to artists or business people and what they want is to be recognized and mm. respected. Mm. And I always say, like, there's an advantage to being underestimated. Yeah. Like, I'd yeah. rather people think... That guy he's he's nothing we yeah. don't have to worry about him yeah, yeah i'm yeah. learning that right now because you can fly under the radar trust me right, and i'm learning yeah. Yeah. I learned
2: that i learned that with one of my businesses i won't say who but you know i'm sitting in these big board rooms and i'm running around trying to scream who's behind it and how much money we got and they're like Shh, right. kick back yeah <laughs> we don't want nobody to see us until we already got there <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, that's right <laughs> and i'm like okay i guess you're right
1: but that's a lesson i mean you have to you know I think it's only natural to say wait you know pay attention to me I'm I'm just as good as these guys right and and to feel like you need that respect Yeah, Yeah, but as a marketer
2: it's hard for us to keep our mouths closed because we're always trying to gain attention for sure garnish eyeballs or you know whatever but you know when reality sometimes it's best to just sit
0: up and yeah I mean I'm always saying that to my daughter you know it's like you know I'm saying to her it's a long road yeah. You know, just take your time. Yeah. You want to be there in 50 years time, you know. Because right. you know when it's kind of kind of weird when you look at... Um, um, Smokey Roberts is still alive. Michael's gone. Yeah. Michael was like 30 years younger than Smokey. You know, because that... Trying to just keep doing another thriller. burnt sure. him out. Yeah. All those kind of things. i never forget... Um, Peter Tosh said to me once... He said, why Dennis? He said, you know... When you're a black star, you know a bright you for shine. <laughs> to be seen, wow. and, yeah, and that's what burns you out, you're a black star, and you constantly want to be shining, you're going to burn yourself out, yeah. so every, every now and least. again, as a black star, you just have to go, oh, you see that, you know what I mean, you just come again, hey, you, see? you know, and that's how I do it, every now and again, whoa,
2: what was that,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, didn't know he was still around, that's great, you know? and that's how I do it, That's amazing. You know, people think I'm gone, you know, and every now and again they go, like Jesus. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way you do it, man. Nice. Just come every now and again with one big one. And then just chill out again. Yeah. And then come again. You know what I mean? That's the way you do it.
1: As art director at Virgin,
0: is that right? Uh, oh, it was Island Records, yeah. At
1: Island, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And so was that? Um, <coughs> was it hard to make that transition?
0: You know, in in everybody's life, you can look and you can see that was one move I made which I should never have done, really. But yeah. I learned from it. But I should never have done it.
1: What? Well, what'd you learn, and why should you not have done
0: it? Um. Basically. What happened was, Ireland was going through a really bad patch and I'd had that success from doing a... working with Public Image. I'd created a logo and did all the album covers and stuff like that. And so I got a call from Chris Blackwell and I went in, you know, saw him and he said, I want you to work at Ireland. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not, you know, there's nothing on the label there. Nothing interests me. Mm. And he said, well, what is that, you, you know, and I said, well, there's this guy called Linton Quazy Johnson. I said, um, he said, I never heard him. And I said, this is girl band called The Slits. I'd never heard him. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, if you, I make, come to the company as an art director with A&R capacity. You sign the bands that you like and you oversee all. Wow. And I thought, well, oh, that's a good gig. Yeah. And then he put down this piece of paper, the money uh, what he paid me him. And I thought, whoa, really? And I thought, well, that's a good one. So there I took it.
1: Yeah.
0: So now I had an office and um, they said, how do you want your office? And I said, well, whoa, whoa, I don't want my office. So in those days, there were like three TV channels. Uh-huh. So I had three TVs, nice. you know, biggest TV could get one for each channel.
1: Those were not flat screens either.
0: Those no, were not, yeah, yeah, those yeah those TVs, <laughs> yeah. And I um, had the biggest hi-fi you could get, stereo, you know, and I'd just be sitting in the office all day, no workbench or anything, just smoking my weed and just getting my ID and stuff. <laughs> and then you start these meetings, you know, and, and I remember once the manager director said, Dennis, um, it's come to my notice that when we have our meetings, you're the only one, you never have a pad or a pen. I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, we all have pads and pens take things down. I said, yeah, but I always remember everything, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. He said, but you know we've got this album cover that you have to do. I said, yeah, don't worry about it, I've got it, I've got it, you know. And lo and behold, when time came, and I, wow, wow, it's fantastic. They couldn't believe it, you know. But then it kind of kind of dawned at me, they were kind of, uh, and then there was this other thing they said to me like, um, so what company car would you like? I said, oh, company car. I said, um, can I have a Porsche? And I said, yeah. But then I realised I couldn't drive. <laughs> so, you know, I couldn't drive, so so this Porsche was there, you know. You know? So I, had to, I said, actually, guys, um, you know, I, I've changed my mind. I said, what I'd like is if you just thought sort of, every morning I just get a pay for a car to pick me up and you know, take my home away where I want to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I had all this thrown at me and everything. But then I kind of realised now that. What they were trying to do was mold me into this thing. They were taking away my um, and my um, independence. Yeah? Yeah. So, so I was totally relying on, on them. Sure. And I realized that and I thought, nah, this ain't me, you know. So I kind of just one day I, I turned around and said, um, I'm leaving. And they said, what? I said, yeah. And uh, they couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I, I had to, I had to do it. I just, I knew I had to do it. So I walked away from it what
1: what was the moment that you realized that
0: well, there was all kinds of things that was happening I mean some crazy things were going on because I was the only black guy working in, believe it or not in the Island records, oh, which wow. of was a you know a black supposedly label sure and That's so what I there were things i I remember started happening where like I'd walk into my office and say the the stereo was over there and my sofa's over here, and then I walk in the next day uh my sofa's over there, and the stereo's over there. And so I go and said, oh, "Up, um, my office been without? No, you know, re, no, everything's fine, you know." So okay, next I go in, and the is over there. And, you know what I mean? So they were like trying to drive me mad. They just wanted me out. They wanted me out. Yeah. And I realised they wanted me out. Yeah. And it was a bit of like um, is a Dave Chappelle, you know, when they m- gave him that offer, and he realised that basically if he took it, they were going to own him. The trap. And I realised, yeah. yeah, man, because uh, they they they're going to they're going to they mess you up. So I just said, you know what? I just turned my back on it. Nobody could believe it. Yeah. No one could believe it. You know, and uh, I think luckily I did do that. You know what I mean? I, I just went and continued what I wanted to do. you know? Sure. Um, Blackwood was furious. He couldn't believe it. Jesus. <laughs> what was he like to work with? Brilliant man. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant man. I will say one thing, it was never him. He really, really believed in me, but I don't think he realized the people he had working within his company. Because sure. he was a Jamaican, a white Jamaican. So he was totally used to being around black people. Yeah. But the people within a company, they just couldn't handle the fact that he was taking the the company from being what it was a rock company into mm-hmm. a black music company. Mm-hmm. And they just couldn't handle having to look up to these black artists, you mm-hmm. know? And so it was all kinds of thing. that was I think literally was a downfall of Ireland in the end, you know, what he where really he wanted the company to go, he never had that in the people inside the company that really wanted going that way. And sure. he really came, you know, with its downfall. Yeah.
1: You, you talk about uh, I've read some stuff you talked about everybody has a mask mm. the, the way they present themselves and, and that you're able to get past that mm. huh. what does that mean? How do, how do you do that?
0: well like for instance when I sometimes I do sessions um, <laughs> I'd occasionally sometimes what I would do I'd play a game like you know I'd be sort of they would be like in a, if I'm in a studio and if I work in a studio, I'd always set up the studio because I always look, look at it this way, that there's only one sun as such. So with, if you're outside that one sun can give you, if you know what you're doing, every shape, form, whatever, in that sense. So if I'm in a studio, I'd literally sometimes just have one light mm. and I'd just work that one light. And so then sometimes I'd be, you know, playing my camera and like, like I don't really know what I'm doing, you know, and they kind of like thinking, you know, you know seems like he's learning kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And then That's like, on, them, like yeah, and I'm messing around and kind of stuff. And then like, you know, and without them knowing, it's like I'm doing it. I'm doing the shots, you know, and then sure. sometimes I say, OK, finish. And I said, oh, what, you, you started? I said, yeah, I got it, you know, like, really? I said, yeah, over in that kind of way. So, so, pros are sometimes just making people feel at ease with themselves mm. and forget about the camera. Because mm-hmm. the minute you start picking up that camera and start doing all that big camera thing, yeah. they think, oh, I'm being photographed, got pose, you
2: know,
0: f- whatever, you know. Yeah. You've just got to break it all down and just say, hey, it's just me and you, you know, and, and that's how it is. So now I find it a real problem if I'm in a studio now, if I'm working, there's 20 people in the studio and I don't know what they're for. The stylist has got a stylus, right. the makeup artist has got a, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, what? what you, what's going on? Everybody has Which then makes that person feel like, well, oh, I can't be the doing agenda. this. You know, because like, well, you know, everybody's watching, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I find it difficult now sometimes to work in the studio, you know, because all the pictures I ever did back then was like, like for instance, the famous story of Marion Faithful, when I did that shot. I sit and watch the children my Smiling faces I can
2: see, but not for me. I sit and just is
0: goodbye. I just got the Giga Island Records. They just signed her. And they uh, they knew they had an album, the record, you know, the tracks and everything. But they wanted a cover. Mm-hmm. They tried David Bailey, he couldn't get it. They tried Clive Aris, but they tried latic all the top photographs. And I kept saying to him, like, "Hey guys, I could do this. Oh, you just join And they went through everybody. So eventually, I said, "Okay, give it a shot." So she turned up at the studio. And I knew exactly what I wanted. I listened to the record. And I thought, "Wow, man, this this album is something special." Yeah. So I had one armchair in the studio. Light. She turned up. She walked in. She said to me, "Do you know who I am?" I said, "Yeah, of course I do." She said, "Well, you know, this is going to be the making of you." I said, "Yeah, I know." You know. <laughs> and she said, "Well, oh, you know, I must have a drink." So I said, "Okay, fine." So we left the studio, went to a pub nearby. And as we walked into the pub on top of her, she said, "I'm not some cheap hooker, you know. It's going to cost you at least two hundred pounds." So the guy behind the bar went, "Yeah, you all right, mate. You want one?" <laughs> so I said, "What do you want to drink?" She said, oh, "I'll have a gin and tonic." So she had, we had a few drinks. Left. Um, she said, "I'm hungry. I must have something to eat." So we left. Went to an Italian restaurant. She wanted tons of food. Didn't touch it, and then just overturned the table. I said. The food's terrible! The food's terrible! And then the management said, oh, I'll okay, go, oh. I said, how much? I said, I'll pay for it, you know. Paid it all, left, went back to the studio. And then she said, I'll be back. And she went, and I knew what she did. She, she was on drugs, you know, jacked up. And she came out and I said, I'm ready. So I'm shooting away, I'm shooting away. And then it's like this blow up moment. She's on the floor. And I'm standing over her like this. And she goes, fuck me now, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me now. I'm like, yeah, not yet, not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the shots, you know. Oh, yeah. I went back to the uh, rushed home, developed the film, yes, <laughs> printed it, took it to Ireland, Yes. Yeah. Wow. And that's how, you know. You no mask. No mask. You know, he just <laughs> broke it all down. And I always say that if I was an actor you'd I'd be a, uh, a method actor. Yeah. So every artist I've ever worked in I've gotta get into that zone with them, you know? Yeah. Gotta get into that world, you know you know and that's how I get did it.
1: Do you ever find you someone you can't get into the zone with? Ooh will uh, tell
0: you a funny story, man. Um you two huh? were Desperate to work with me and um, they kept saying like management like, you know, Island Records saying and with, like, you know, they really wanted to work with me and I'm like, uh, I can't stand the music. I hate the music. Said, yeah, but they really wanted to say, okay, okay, okay. So he set it all up, came in the studio and he walked into the, onto the background paper. And I said, you ready? And I never get it. And then suddenly, as I'm, you know, Bono went. <laughs> I thought, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went, oh god. And I just said, ah, oh, I can't do this, guys. And I just walked out. <laughs> oh wow. Here's the story now. Years later, like they're at the heights of heights, right? <laughs> And they're playing um in San Francisco baseball stadium, and uh oasis um is supporting on, and I'm working with oasis, and so I'm out there, so oasis do their thing, and then I think word had got round that I was there, so you two come out, and I thought no oh, you know I'll just check them out anyway, you know, so I just stayed. And you two came out, and so all these photographers now, you know, and I'm just like over the other side of in the corner, you know, and then. Lo and behold, Bono just comes right over to where I am and going like, yeah, yeah, he like he's going, yeah, here I am. Yeah, click, 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 click. click you know? And all the other was like, what's going on? You know what I mean? And he would leave me alone. He would just keep like he was saying, yeah. He was like, all yeah, in your face. He's yeah, like, look at me now. Look at me now. Yeah, because like, nobody's right. ever walked out on him. Yeah, and uh, that was one.
1: Um,
0: but again, I think that's great. That is great. I was right in some ways because I think now, when you look at Bono, I think what it is for him is, he he recognizes that he's a very very successful rock artist, but he wants to be Bob Marley. You know, he wants to be the messenger, the savior of the world. You know, in that sense. But I will say one thing about it also: he is a very very talented performer. Sure. Oh God, honestly, you know, I never got it then, but. Yeah. He is dynamite on stage. He really gives it.
1: But he seems like a guy who, who's not going to take off the mask.
0: Nah, he, <laughs> he's very rigid. Yeah. He really is very, very rigid. Um, and the thing about it is, well, I think realistically, if you think about U2, there is not one defining image of them, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Where with all the pictures I've done of uh, Marley, Sex Pistols, Marion Favorite, etc. There is a defining image. There's not one shot you can always think of, Bono or U2, in that sense. Um, And I think he kind of realizes that he he wanted that. Yeah, he really, really wanted that because he knew the importance of that, and that's kind of missing in there for him. You know.
1: So what are you up to next? What's what's got you excited?
0: Well, everything gets me excited now. I mean, I'm you know, I'm excited being here. Yeah. Um, Excited talking to you all. I'm just excited, yeah. Yeah. still excited, you know? Never, you? never lost that edge in that way. What's your next project? Well, I'm doing a show at the um, Pop Art Fair, the ba- Barker Hangar. Mm-hmm. Then I'm doing a show with um, Marion Faithful. I'm trying to bring her over, actually, Oh, um, cool. for the show. Nice. And um, so I'm doing that in the Marion Faithful show. is in November. And then I'm doing a show, in actually, in, in Tokyo. In December on Paddy Smith. Oh, nice. Yeah, who I worked with, and um, so I'm I'm, and I'm doing a lot of clothing as well. Yeah. Um, Design all kinds of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, I'm actually doing a line of um, glasses as well, which is everyone always says to me like, "Oh man, you always wear the coolest glasses," and uh, you know, so might as well make your own. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, Yeah. When does that come up? Early next year, yeah yeah
1: yeah is that the, is that the first time you've done products
0: in terms of glasses yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, never done that before, but I'm really excited about that I think it's gonna people are gonna be cool uh, gonna really like them actually yeah because everyone keeps saying to me hey, you know you always wear the coolest glasses and what I basically really what I do is or my wife and I we basically go around looking for frames, and then we customize them, mm-hmm. you know, like these, for instance, these frames, i got them in Japan, and they're actually for, um, gaming, mm-hmm. but they're grandmaster gaming, and everyone that we're into games, like, wow, man, you're the grandmaster, I say, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 I don't do games, <laughs> sure. but they all feel like, wow, he's the grandmaster, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's why I got him, you know what I'm saying? That's <laughs> hilarious.
1: Yeah. And are you, do you shoot young artists today?
0: I do very, very little music, not because I don't want to. I think a lot of artists kind of get a little bit, I would say, scared of me sometimes, Mm. you know? Um, And then I find that basically. What do you think they're scared of? Taking the mask off. Yeah, no doubt. Basically. Because nowadays masks are more.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that seems like that, you know, when you're on Instagram, it's all about the mask.
0: Yeah, and um, and on top of that as well, they don't really have the control that they think they have, you know, I, I did a session not so long ago, I won't go into the name of the artist in Paris, but realistically basically this person really wanted to work with me, and I, so I did, and then basically the record company they turned around and said, we never commissioned you, they didn't want to use the pictures, blah blah blah, etc, etc, and then it all went into a very sort of strange way and I just kind of realised, oh, you know, this ain't really how it works, I you know, I mean. sure. um, so, Realistically, it was really quite weird, really, because what happened was the images I came up with. They just thought, well, it's not the image that we want, right. and um, and then lo and behold, X months later, another artist who saw those images thought, oh, I like that, and then started using the same kind of image yeah. you know, and that, kind of, and that same artist, while I was working, with, I think realized, like, God, I was stupid in that yeah, way. Should have used, used it. Should have used it. Um, but they didn't want to go against a record company, you see, because yeah. they felt if they did, they'd probably lose their position, you know, yeah. and so you really, you're in a game and a business where you really have to stand up for what you believe in, you know, musically, artistically, you know, and if you don't, then you'll get molded into something that they want from you, and then once that's over, you're finished, mm-hmm. you know, if you stand up for what you want, you, you create your own thing, you can ride it for much longer. In a way, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of these artists now, they, they just don't. You know, yeah. it's all, it's all record. You know, labels just do it. And a lot of creative forces now, like people like yourself, are very rare, very very rare. And a lot of artists don't actually understand the, the need for something like yourself or like for myself or like Eddie, you know, they just don't really get that. You know, sure. you know what I mean? And so they need the boat, really, you know? Yeah, I mean,
1: there's a machine to the music industry.
2: Hmm. Yeah, well, it's even even on a low level. Me and Trey yesterday went to Container Yard, and we pulled up, and you'll find this funny, maybe, maybe not. This girl's dressed in this cute little outfit with slits everywhere, and she's doing a photo shoot by herself, though.
0: Mm. She's got the
2: camera strapped to a little piece of, like a, you know, little street thing. And she's changing poses and moving the camera literally up against yeah. the wall of graffiti completely by herself. And I was like, wow, times have really changed. Yeah. She's the model and the photographer. Sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know. Absolutely. And it has its purpose.
2: Yeah. Not knocking it. It's right. different. It's different. Yeah. I'd right, have times.
1: to get a little lightning round. Um, so a couple of quick questions before we wrap up. What's your favorite city to travel to? Tokyo.
0: Tokyo. Mm. Yeah. I love yeah. Tokyo. Me too. Yeah. Um, LA is great. I love LA as well. Sure. But Tokyo has something on another level, which is like once you're there, you st- once you land and you step in there, you just like you. It's like being in Blade Runner, you know. It's <laughs> just like another world. You like it's the future. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It really, you know, totally on another level. Yeah. And it basically it, it 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 sort of it's like you just plug something into your brain you just get another blast in your brain and you just like feel refreshed you know sure
1: yeah yeah uh well i know london has a lot of great djs who's your favorite dj DJ. um
0: goldie yeah i like goldie yeah
1: i saw yeah. you you yeah. shot him yeah yeah i think he was very
0: very innovative very very innovative but I think the problem for him in some ways was he was ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at the music which is to hear now, um, you know, from Grime to whatever, be you know, um, it all stemmed from that yeah. sound that Goalie you know, and his crew had created. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. It's funny. I always say drum and bass is like the least commercial, but yet the most influential yeah. music yeah. of our time. Yeah. Interesting. What's the last great book you read?
0: Meetings with Remarkable Men by Gurdif, um, which is a book which is basically, it's about, it's not about meeting necessarily millionaires, about, you, know, you might come across them, a, a guy who is a street cleaner, and you start, and you, you talk to him, and and the stories they have to tell, yeah. you know, in that sense. Yeah. So these are, very, very, very good book, really good book.
1: What yeah. movie have you seen the most in your life?
0: <laughs> Sound of Music. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> cried the first time I saw that. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to say that. Yeah, that's It's funny. a great movie. Sure. Great, great movie. It's got everything in it, you know? Yeah. It's got all the hanks. It's got the fascism. It's got the, you know, it's got the, the, the love story. Yeah, it, yeah. It's got it all. It's got it all. It's got the uh, escapism. when you think about people going across the borders it's got all that in there it's Mm -hmm. got everything in there great movie.
1: yeah it's funny you say I mean I think today's movies are one or the other Mm -hmm. it's escapist or there's or it's political or whatever but not Mm -hmm. not all together
0: the hills are alive
1: (laughs) tell me one decision that changed your life forever
0: one decision Um, the day I left school and went to meet Bob Marley yeah that was the one that really changed my life yeah not bad. put me in a totally different
1: space yeah. sure yeah I told my wife I was meeting you and she said I don't know if Justin if Justin uh, our son's nine All next right. week yeah. she said if he's 14 he went and met Bob Marley yeah. would you let him go on tour
2: no said, one well, let well, let if it was Bob Marley I would <laughs> yeah, yeah but he wasn't Bob Marley then of course or was he yeah, yeah no he was just Bob
0: but no one let me go, I just disappeared, yeah. man, you know, that's the thing about it. But people say to me as well, didn't Bob think it was strange for you to go? And I say, well, you know what, coming from Trenchtown, if I was 14 and living in Trench Town, I'd probably be packing a gun. Yeah. And I'd be looking after the family, out working. So yeah. for him, it's like when yeah, he's got a different. camera.
2: It's a different thought process, you know? Sure. You want it? It's that there. culture, yeah. that cultural difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I got yeah. a lightning round question. Go. What's your favorite graffiti artist? My favorite graffiti artist?
0: Um, not sure, right. if I'm gonna be honest about it. Okay. Yeah. Who would you say?
2: My favorite graffiti artist? Retna. Retina, yeah, I would, I would agree on that. You know, so, if, you, if you talk about but I
0: style. But you know, for me, Retna is not a, a graffiti artist in that way. I think it's higher than that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's evolved, Yeah. as I mean, everything, everything else. does keep mm, evolving. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never to been. Tell in, that yeah. to the owners of the hotels that he <coughs> writes on the walls in. Yeah,
0: but that's what I'm saying though. For for me it's kinda it's it's like uh, the highest of that art form, where, you know, in that sense you yeah. uh-huh. but I know I, he's got the sensibility of it in a sense, you
1: know. yeah. That's a good question. I might i might, I might add that. I might steal that from All right.
2: you. but when it's you a, do, you know. Let's make sure it's the Gorilla One Lightning the Round. Gri- question. Brought to you by Gorilla
1: One. <laughs> um, I don't know how I would. I'm not. I'm not going to answer that question. Well, I yeah, I was
2: going to say, who's your answer. favorite graffiti
1: artist? Uh, Basquiat.
2: Wow. See, big, big brain Brad over here. He's yeah. the only person
1: who I lose myself in his photo, in his, in his work. In his work. Yeah,
2: yeah. that's
0: true. Yeah. But again I would put him on the same level as retina in that way. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's not graffiti in all. the way that he's saying now. Yeah.
2: taking it to another level for sure. Yeah.
1: Um complete the sentence. I don't have talent, I have blank.
0: Balls. Damn. <laughs> That's what I you need. That. You need to have balls, man, to do anything that you're doing in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So all you need is balls.
1: So if I worked for you, What's something I would hear you say over and over?
0: You ain't getting paid.
2: (laughs) Oh, gangster. Oh, gangster.
0: I never got paid. That's what I'm saying to you. So if you want to be here, you want to be there, then that's what it takes. You've got to do it for the love of doing it. And you get paid in a different way. It's not about getting paid in cash. It's getting paid at the fact that I'm giving you the time to be around me. Yeah. And that's what everybody you know, like with Bob. I anybody like that. I never got paid. It's like you want to be here, or well, join, the, join the gang. You know yeah. what I mean? And you, you're going to get paid. Yeah, you ain't getting paid now, but you're going to get paid a long way down the road. You know?
1: I mean, it's funny you say that because every artist got wherever they got because of the work they did without getting paid.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, you you name it, every single one.
1: Yeah,
0: you never got paid. You yeah. know got paid on a long way down that, you know. i heard
1: uh i heard rizza talking one time from wu-tang and he was saying that he was said you know we did all of this work for free for years and years and years mm. and then years later you know somebody would call and we would tell, we'd give him the price up front mm. he said it took him a while to realize that that changed their work
0: yeah yeah it's true
1: i think he still gets his money up front though. <laughs> Uh, Who would you be most excited to learn appreciates your work?
0: Um, Joe Public, because there's an artist in England, uh, what's his name? Uh, Anyway, this guy, uh, he's phenomenally successful, and he's doing an interview, and they said to him, because none of the uh, museums or whatever have his work in in their collection, and he said, "I never really ever wanted to have my stuff stored away in a basement somewhere. I just love the fact that Joe Public have got my work on their wall." He yeah. said, "I don't want it in a basement in a, in a museum," yeah. and I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, for a long time, I you know the idea for me of being in uh, museums was, and whatever you know would was so important. Sure. But I kind of realise that to have your work in these places the sacrifice you have to do because you've got to tailor it for that you see what I mean but when Joe Public likes your work yeah and has it on the wall I mean my image is expensive to buy right but I know what it takes for Joe Public to say I want that shot and mm. Dig deep and buy it and put it on their wall. It means a lot to me. Whereas if somebody who I know has got a lot of money for them. Sometimes it's a trophy thing, you yeah, know what I mean. But yeah. for when Joe Public wants, you know, digs deep and buy it and put it on their wall, it means a hell. Yeah, they of really them. want it really versus want it. politics yeah, or I mean, right you know, moves. Yeah. yeah, you know, you know. And I get people say, "I, oh, I really want it, man. Um, I'm going to save up for it." You know, and they actually, you know, a year later. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got the money man, you know, like oh, great, you know, and they, you know, and it means a lot. Yeah, it means a lot. And another story funny was um, that famous Lyceum CM gig um, with Bob Marley. And I met this guy who was an, he, he's an accountant, a very su- uh, successful accountant. And he came to one of my shows, this is in London, and he bought a series of images, because he could afford it, you know, and we got talking. I said, what are you, where are you going to put them? He said, um, he said well, you know, he said, I'm, I'm an accountant. became very successful. He said, I've got like a a, a, a pool room. He said, I, I just want to you know. I said, oh, yeah, maybe. He fantastic. He said, but you know, I've got to tell you, he said, I was at the Lyceum gig, and i just left university. And he said, when I was at that Lyceum gig, he said, I knew I wanted to be an accountant. He said, but when I saw Bob Marley, I knew the kind of accountant I wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he 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 got it, and yeah. what he was saying was he realised he didn't have to be some stiff upper lip guy. Yeah, sure. You know, he just he's a creative accountant. Can be himself. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, amazing.
1: So, how does everybody find you online?
0: Um, was it www. dot com? Cool. Instagram is Dennis McEvoy Morris. Actually, she actually has to tell me what she said to say, my daughter because uh, I'm not very good up in all, all these things, you know what I mean. Um, I all right. I just listened at like, I learned how to use a phone the other day, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everybody laughs, you know but it's true. I for me it's like it rings, I answer yeah, you know. And then I say to her, How'd you text? <laughs> I do that now, I can text now, but for a long so time. They do it all for it. Know, and um and I still can't drive yeah, yeah. I don't well my wife won't let me drive yeah because you know i used to have a motorbike uh-huh. right and again it was really strange because um from my early trips to Jamaica with bob and in Jamaica in those days like all the bad men that's what I had you know gunmen had motorbikes sure so i came back <clears throat> at one point and i was like 1819 uh, and i bought a motorbike and all my friends said, "Black man, I ride a motorbike. Yeah, it's my yeah, drive car, man. I said, nah, I love my motorbike. But boy, could I say on that damn thing, I was always forever crashing because, you know, I'd be riding along going like, oh, that's a great idea. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> the traffic in front of me stopped. And <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then I had one really bad accident. Oh. And uh, it, but basically, they always take me back to the same hospital. And eventually, they kept, oh, it's you again. <laughs> and so... Eventually, they did a test. And they said, you know what, you should never really drive, or you know, it's because your mind is not yeah, that way. Yeah. And to this day, my, my wife, now nah, you're not driving, you're not driving. You know? you
1: know what? We don't need more drivers.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a visual person, yeah. I'm always scanning things. I yeah, yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. so I know if I was driving, man, I probably wouldn't be around them, sure. so you know, that sense. So, yeah.
1: Well, we need more of what you do, not more cars on the road. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Thanks for this, man. This is brilliant. Josh is fantastic. Appreciate really,
0: really um, really enjoyed it all. Love and, it. Uh, you got some stories, man.
1: <laughs> you do as well. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And Eddie, thanks for sticking Of
0: course.
2: Learn a lot in the room for an hour with, with people.
1: Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, come back anytime. We'd love to. Love to, love love to, to. hear more, and I uh, can't wait to see the the Pop Art Show.
0: Yeah, going to be a great show. It's be a great show. Yeah. And, uh, it will come down definitely
1: hey that was Dennis Morris on Rebel Radio thanks to Gorilla One for co-hosting with us uh, go back in the archives check out all of our artwork Rebel series you'll see a different logo on the SoundCloud um, I don't know leave us a review on iTunes Send us a comment on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. You can also watch videos on our YouTube page, at Rebel Radio Net. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.